hear from our worship director, John Gerald, is going to bring forth a devotion tonight. He's got a word for us to share with us. I look forward to that. And then he's going to lead us in the direction of the prayer. Let's sit back and let's enjoy the word of the Lord. Would you please welcome John Gerald? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for letting me speak tonight, pastors. I, uh, I had no idea when, whenever uh, Miranda and I were talking about what on earth should I talk about tonight. Um, I think we all had a, an inkling that the election would be close. You know, we thought that maybe it would, uh, could swing one way or the other. There might be a few states that are uh, here and there. And how many tonight are uncertain of who's going to win the election. We're just talking about the election. Who's uncertain tonight? Well, I want to, this, this message is called The Day After. And uh, I want to talk about some, uh, some moments in history, and I, I, I'll try not to be very long. I, um, I started doing this, and then I got into more stuff, and, and I don't know whenever, you know, I, I see pastor always says he goes through his notes, and he never, never gets through them all. I understand why, because once you start looking into a, a subject, then it just goes into something else, and something else, and something else, and, and I, I'm thankful for these times that, that I get to speak, because it puts me back on track to studying the way I should, because I start studying more, and then I start wanting to learn more about whatever subject it is, and and that leads into another part of the Bible, and, and I just love, I love to, to be able to do that, and it seems that whenever I'm pressured into uh, getting something like this together, and not that they put pressure, but that, that they invited me to do this, then it causes me to study more. And I don't know, anybody that's, that's done this would know uh, the, what that puts you into, especially if you're working a regular job and everything, you really have to focus. And the Lord gave me a day off on Monday, and, I, and, and we didn't... We didn't know that. We planned that a long time ago, and then Randy called, and it was just perfect. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time into that, but I want to talk about one of the most dramatic moments, and I'll talk about a few that happened in the Bible and maybe in all of human history, and that is, uh, is what we call the upper room. Um, most of us, or if not, not all of us, especially in Pentecostal um, ideology, know about the upper room and what, it, and what, it's, what it means to us. But it took place toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, 
essentially uh, all the disciples were in Jerusalem and uh, they, were, uh, they were coming to celebrate an event, a big event. It was Passover. And now I'm going to go into just a little bit of history about Passover. Uh, I may get some things wrong. Please tell me if I do afterwards because I, I didn't have, like I said, I study this, but I'm not, I definitely haven't been to any theology, theology or anything like that. So, but I have been in church for 30, 40 years, 40 years, yeah, now, <laughs> since August. So, um, so this is Passover as a festival, and it's a remembrance meal. It's when the Jewish people got together and they uh, they celebrated uh, an event that they that they were in slavery. They were they came out of slavery. They've been in slavery for four hundred years, and uh, some of us we we give up on God after four days, but four hundred years they were in slavery, and um, and they'd become and that's all really that as a nation they knew because they were born they were kind of born into it, and since the very beginning. Um, they prayed to God for uh, 400 years to let us go. And, uh, and then one day, uh, God sent someone named Moses, and, uh, he delivered them, and he, he delivered them out of slavery. So I'm paraphrasing. There's a lot of stuff that happened in, in order for that to happen. But um, there was an event that happened also before that where the Pharaoh said that I'm going to kill all of, the, uh, all of the, the boy children, okay? So there was an event that happened right before, I mean, well, several years before they were able to get out of slavery, uh, something that was very perilous, basically, because, you know, this was, there was one way for this to happen. God had set this up for this to happen, that there was Moses that was going to come forward, and he was going to, uh, to go on the Nile River, and he was going to come and be born into Pharaoh's house, basically, grow up, and convince them to let the people go. But something really bad happened. They were going to kill all the baby boys. So, so then the, uh, Moses' mother went down to the river, put the baby in the river, and let it go. And then, I don't know how many years later, but they, uh, they let this the plan came together. And the Lord was with Moses that entire time. You know, he could have been, could have been killed uh, by... Anything that was in that river, could have, all this could have happened, but God was with him. And I just want to make that point, that God was with him even whenever he was in the, in the river. All right, so now 1,400 years later, after this event, Jesus is going to gather with his disciples into uh, uh, this same pass, this Passover meal that they, that, they, uh, that they celebrate. Now, this Passover meal happened the day before Basically, they were let out or let into uh, the uh, sorry that Moses took them out. So, fourteen hundred years later, we're going into the upper room for the same Passover meal. Now, this isn't the first Passover that Jesus has had with his disciples. He's had many, uh, I guess, with him with them through the years. But this last one was different. Uh, this one was not um, a happy time. Uh, this was more of a somber moment that he brought them with because they've had Passover before that was a celebration. It was a festival. And, uh, and he it just, he'd been brought into Jerusalem just a week later, or a week before that, and he'd been you know, celebrated as a, almost like a celebrity or a, a rock star even because he was, he was healing people. Miracles were happening. He was starting to gather a following. Whenever he would talk, people would listen. And, and the crowds were just overwhelming. But this time, he didn't come into Jerusalem that way. Uh, it says in the Bible that he came uh, in, the, in the still of the night. He basically snuck in to Jerusalem this night. And all, of the, all the disciples knew something was up. 
because this isn't the way that we've done this before. This isn't the way that we haven't had to hide before uh, doing the Passover. But now we're being snuck into somebody's house, up into an upper room uh, where nobody can see us because they all knew that something was up. Things weren't going very well. The momentum had turned around. There were rumors that there was a group of people trying to arrest Jesus, trying to isolate him from the crowd. Uh, They were going to accuse him of all kinds of things. And the disciples knew that if Jesus went down, they would also go down with him. Then he began talking about death and how he talked about being taken away. And all the, they kind of filtered all that out. And they just knew that if God would, was with us, and God, then God would be working for us. And that um, he, when he shows up, things just automatically get better. And wherever God is, there's more certainty. There's not uncertainty. So they sneak into Jerusalem, cover of night, no, no shouting, nobody, nothing that they'd experienced before. And, and they go into this home, go upstairs to something else that they're not very certain of. And it was just very strange. And if it wasn't bad enough, Jesus then started the conversation like this. Uh, Steve, if you have Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 17. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one shall betray me. So that's the opening line. You come in, I'm taking you to this strange place, and then uh, I'm telling you this. How many, uh, whenever you're kid, if you had to take your kids into a, into a room before, have you ever had to say, hey, come with me, you're coming in the room? It's not a, usually a good conversation. Um, and... This was no different because he started that conversation that one of you are going to betray me. Literally, one of you that are here uh, is going to betray me. And you know, none of them, I'm sure, raised their hand and said, it's probably me. They all said, they all said it wasn't them. Surely it's not me. But he says, one, he says, who is eating with me. So not only was, it, was this a very serious thing, but now in the culture of that time, Whenever you brought somebody into your house and you ate with them, it was a, it was a big deal. You know, you washed their feet, you, uh, you had communion with them, and now he says, one of you people that are, if you ever, I mean, just let's say a pastor invited you over to his house, and then he says to you these things, you're going to betray me, just as you're eating here with me, one of you is going to betray me. So he says, it's one of the twelve, he replied, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man will go. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him to have not been born. So this Bible is full of stories. It's full of of things that take place uh, under extraordinary uncertainty. If you go through um, this Bible, you'll find that there's families, nations, um, people, you know, you talk about Job, you talk about all the different stories in the Bible, that all of them are in uncertain situations, very uncertain situations. And let me just tell you a few of these. I'm not going to get, get in a, a whole bunch of them, but let's talk about Joseph, okay? Not Mary and Joseph, but the, uh, the uh, Joseph that had the brothers that weren't the best siblings, okay? So here Joseph is in a hole, all right? And they're having a conversation. They say, uh, should we sell him or should we kill him? So that's the two choices. 
It's not anything good at all. And so he's looking up at his brothers, and this is what they're saying. Should we sell him or should we kill him? And I know that some of us have had some uh, run-ins with our brothers and sisters and things like that, but uh, Kathy, I'm looking at you. Um, don't know if it's ever been that bad. Should we sell him or should we kill him? King David also has a story. Um, he's got more than one story for sure, but how about, how about any running uh, with your kids? Have any of you had any times that you just, man, the kids, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're kind of back-talking me. Has that ever happened, Titus? Surely not, surely not. Well, King David had a son as well, and uh, he got a whole army together and said, we're going to overthrow dad, okay? But one thing about it with Joseph, God was with Joseph in the, in the hole. He was with him in, in, in when he went into the palace too. And just as King David was uh, facing this mountain of an army with his son, he was also with him as well, and, he, and he, was, he prevailed. And then I just told you about a story about Moses where uh, Pharaoh had decided to murder all the baby boys, but there's too many Israelites, because there was too many Israelites in the land. But his mother wraps him up in the basket, shoves him into the river, and God was with that little baby. And now let's talk about the story of Jesus. Um, this is kind of the one before that's kind of a foreshadowing of another baby that would be, um, that be rescued from a similar fate because uh, Mary and Joseph discovered that Herod, who was jealous of his kingdom, um, they heard a rumor that, that was spread that there was a baby boy being born um, that would grow up to be the Jewish king. So instead of deciding to try and find that baby, he said, let's kill all the babies. You know, let's kill all of them. So just wipe out an entire generation of the Jewish boys. So he sent his soldiers into Bethlehem to kill all of the baby boys. So I got to reading that, and it sounded very familiar to me that the devil does this so often, tries to kill the babies. And I got to thinking about how we are in this situation today uh, where our babies are being murdered. They're being killed by the millions. But, you know, God was with Jesus in that time, too. So, of course, Mary and Joseph escape. All of, of all places, they escape back to Egypt, and they save the baby Jesus. Now, if, Steve, if you could do uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 22. We'll go back to the, uh, to the uh, Last Supper. It says, And while they're eating, Jesus took the bread, and whenever he did that, he, he said he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. There's another version that says, Take this, my broken body. So back, he's talking about all this negativity again. He's talking about, This is my body, and from now on, this Passover is not going to be a big celebration like it was before. From now on, Passover is going to be in remembrance of me and what I'm going to do for you. And this is going to be about my broken body, about my blood, about me dying. And this isn't fun anymore. So, as they go on into the night and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a lot more drama that unfolds after that. You know, we've got people losing ears, we've got betrayals and, and all kinds of stuff that's happening. 
And, and so the, the Lord said to, to his disciples, he says, by the way, not only will one of you betray me, but all of you will fall away. Jesus told them, it's written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and they will be scattered. But after I have risen, I, uh, after I have risen, they will go, go ahead into Galilee. And Peter is following along and he's thinking, all right, I've heard enough of this. It's been doom and gloom all night long. All you talked about is you're going away and, and, and we're not going to have any of this. I'm not going to say I've wasted my entire life following you. I've wasted all of my time uh, in prayer, all of my time in fasting, all of my time coming to church every Sunday, every Wednesday for you to just die and to say that this is it. See, there's uncertainty that's going on there. He says, it's enough about this arrest, enough about betrayal. There's no way we're going to allow this to happen because if, God, if you are the son of God, this isn't how the story is going to go and it's not going to be how it's end up. There's going to be more faith. There's going to be more miracles. There's going to be more activity. There's going to be more Jesus things. So in verse 29, it says, But Peter declared, Even if I fall away, I will not, because that's not how it's supposed to go. Even if everyone abandons you, I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to stick with you through the end. And then later it says the same man that had all of this faith would fall to a little girl that accused him. Said, aren't you the aren't you that guy? Three times he denied Christ. So here's my question for you and for me tonight. We are experiencing extraordinary uncertainty in our families, in our jobs, when our in our with our children sometimes, in our culture, with our leadership in Congress and Senate, the presidency. We don't know about our retirements. We don't know if there's going to be another shutdown. We don't know if we're going to be able to make it through. Uh, We don't know if we're going to be able to send our kids to school, if they're going to continue going to school. So with all this uncertainty, I've got one question. Can you trust God? Can you maintain the faith in God when there's no evidence of anything going on good in your life? No evidence of his activity in your life. How many have been there? How many are there now? Can you continue to maintain faith when there's absolutely no evidence of his activity in your life, in your culture, or in your country? Seemingly, there's a time in our world that you can answer that question, and the way that you answer that question will determine whether this is a continuing thing or whether we can get over it. I really believe that. The way that you answer that question determines how long we're going to be in this. The strange thing here is that, and I'm going to read this as a quote from, from, another, from another pastor. It says, The strange thing is, especially for Americans that equate God with prosperity, and why shouldn't we? We've been so incredibly pro- pros- prosperous. Who equate God with a forward motion, and why shouldn't we? Most of us have experienced primarily forward motion. We equate God and God's blessing with physical, tangible blessing. And why shouldn't we? That's been the experience for many of us for generations. And how many people believe that? I mean, think that blessings follow you because you're a follower of Christ. Well, let me tell you this. When do you think it was 
that the disciples said was Jesus' best time, or when were they having the, the most impact for the cause? Do you think it was whenever he was uh, healing the blind guy, when he was healing the lame person? When he was standing at the tomb of Lazarus, and uh, he said, you've been in there four days, but come forth. I think that God's timing is impeccable. I think my wife sometimes forgets that just because I'm four days late in taking out the trash, that doesn't mean that I'm not faithful to do it. Yes. And... Just because I'm four days late in something doesn't mean that I now, I, I didn't mean to compare myself like that for sure, but, but, you know, the disciples probably thought that those were some of the best times. And they would have said that those hours that seemed like uh, he was doing the least were probably the very same hours that he was absent or he was missing or those darkest hours like that, were, that we were just talking about. Those times in the, in the garden and those times whenever he was talking about how he was, he was going, going to die, where it seemed like, and then when he was nailed to the cross, and he was gone for three days, those were the times that they were scattered about, and they had no, they probably forgot about the time where he said that, I'll be back in Gal- Galilee, you can meet me there. They forgot about that. But I would say that, the darkest, they, they probably said those were the darkest hours, but it turns out that God was doing his greatest work in those darkest hours. When it seemed he was completely inactive, he was the most active because those darkest hours were the epicenter of salvation of mankind. These would be the hours that for literally thousands of years, people all over the world would look back and rejoice in God's goodness and grace. But if you'd have asked them in that moment, we would have had some... Responses like, well, it's game over. It's, it's all tied up. We've wasted our entire lives. And that's a difficult message for us. Because right now, we're in some times that are similar. We think, oh, this election's over with. There's no way. There's no way we can come out on top. No way our guy is going to make it through. Maybe. I mean, you could be for Biden. You could be for Trump, whatever one. And you could still say that. But it's a difficult message for American Christians to get. Yet it's our story. For those that's chosen to follow God, specifically for those who have decided to place their faith in Jesus, it's not only your story because we're reflected in the story of the gospel, but it's our story because of many of us, it's our experience. God seems to take these broken things and do his most amazing work. God seems to wait for the last minute sometimes to do his amazing work. And God seems to take up broken and hopeless situations and show up in a way that not only uh, would we cho- would, that we wouldn't choose because we would never allow things to get as bad as oftentimes they get, but in God's way, the greatest things happen and begin in the biggest messes. And how many would say that this election is in a big mess right now? We're talking about lawyers coming in. We're talking about recounts. We're, there's a big mess happening. But again, I ask the question for you and the question for me is, will we maintain faith when we can't see his hand at work? 
As we look into circumstances and we begin to doubt um, more than ever, this right here is the place we got to go. Because all these stories and all these words are the story of our salvation. Uh, we were birthed at a time of extraordinary darkness and extraordinary uncertainty. And uh, here's what I know. Although the idea, the insight, and the truth about the scripture doesn't change anything in our circumstances, here's what it does do. It allows you to embrace uncertainty with the certainty of knowing that God is still in control. That although life is uncertain, God is certain. Although life is uncertain and family is uncertain and the economy is uncertain, the world seems uncertain, God is certain. He holds tomorrow in his hands. And we got to embrace the simple truth that even though life is uncertain, God is certain, and he still has the whole world, and he still has your entire world in his hands. I don't know what the future holds for us as a nation. I don't know who wins the election. But this is what I know. Although life is uncertain, God is certain. God is still in control, and God is still on the throne. And I know you've heard it said that, that oh, this could be the, the end of, of our rights. This could be an end of, uh, you know, we could get abortion and all this other stuff that, that, that could happen. But I can tell you one thing is if you put your trust in the Lord and you are certain with him and you can make that and you can answer to that question, I will remain faithful and I will keep faith, then he will see us. He will see us all through. So I want us to pray together first, and then I just want you guys to come and, and, and pray for this nation, pray for this time of uncertainty, and pray for one another. Because, I mean, I see people getting all worked up about this, all worked up. And, and God's got it. It's, he's got it in his hands. He's got you in his hands. He's got this election. He's got this country in his hands. Whether, who, it doesn't matter who's president. He's got it. And... So if you would just stand with me tonight.